to 100 Centuries. Episode 8, I guess now. Is it episode 8 already? Yes, wow. it's already episode 8. I'm go. Connie B. Dowell. And I'm Stephen B. Dowell. And today we are talking about Pythagoras and the Pythagorean Theorem. Yay, it's math time! That means Stephen leads the show for this one. Alright, well, uh, to start with, uh, I will definitely say this. It's hard to separate the man from the theorem, okay? Um, and you, uh, talking about Pythagoras at all, would you can't really talk about him without talking about the Pythagorean theorem and everything that goes on with it. Now, um, it's interesting that we call it the Pythagorean theorem. Um, this, this goes back to basically a long-standing tradition in science that the person who basically discovers something first or, more importantly, writes it down and puts their name to it is usually the person who gets the theorem or the thing named after them. And that's certainly the case with Pythagoras, okay? The Pythagorean theorem in some form has been known since the 20th century BCE, okay? That is over 2,000 years uh, before Christ and well over 1,000 years before Pythagoras was born, about 1,500 years actually. Um, the theory itself um, seems to have first been played around with by Babylonians, okay? Now, to what extent the Babylonians knew of the theory is is up to debate. Uh, it's clear that they, they knew um, a squared plus b squared equals c squared, which is what the theorem is, um, but they, they only knew about it in terms of numbers, it seems, okay? Um, and it wasn't until later um, that that theory was hashed out into an actual geometric proof. Um, now, the theorem, too, has been known about by many different cultures. In fact, prior to Pythagoras writing about it, um, or having it, or prior to Pythagoras even being alive, um, India, uh, Indians, um, that is, Indians from India, actually, Indus River, the Indus River Civilization group, had figured out proofs of, right tri of uh, the Pythagorean theorem using right triangles in the 8th century BCE. So this had been, and they did that independently of the Babylonians. The Chinese had also known about the theorems um, with the earliest Chinese writings coming 200 BCE. Um, now that's after Pythagoras, who was, who was born in 570 BCE and lived until about 495. But it's clear from the Chinese writings that this was just more of a textbook recording down what had already been known for centuries. Um, and that seems to be the large case with the Pythagorean theorem. It is probably one of the earliest mathematical theorems um, we know about today. And it's probably one of the best known theorems um, of people who took math long ago and still don't quite remember all of it, probably still remember the Pythagorean theorem. But for those who don't and for younger readers, would you care to explain what it is? Sure thing. Um, I'll give the, the very, very basic run through. So the Pythagorean theorem uh, essentially describes the relationship between the longest side of a right triangle, a triangle that has a 190-degree angle in it, compared to the other two sides of the right triangles, um, usually referred to as the legs. So the hypotenuse, that is the long side of a right triangle, is exactly equal to the... Uh, it squared is equal to the squares of the other two legs of the triangle. Thus, a squared plus b squared equals c squared, a being one leg, b being the other, and c being the hypotenuse. Um, there are many, 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 many proofs of this. <laughs> you know, 
Pythagoras is, is famous for basically writing down the first really good proof. He's the first who came up with the best and most detailed geometric proof by a process known as rearrangement, which is where you can show um, that a big squared of uh, a big square of side lengths a plus b, okay, um, when basically are equal to um, if you rearrange things correctly are equal to a big square of c, c squared in length. So it's pretty um, it's pretty easy one. Uh, most of you probably saw it in geometry class when you were in the ninth grade because it's such an easy one to write out. Um, that's the one that he initially proved. Now um, others took his works or expounded upon him. Euclid, uh, the famous uh, uh, geom uh, geometrician that we base all of our modern geometry off of, for the most part, um, all geometry falls in either, is either Euclidean or non-Euclidean, um, to give you an idea. Um, but Euclidean geometry, uh, described by Euclid in his book The Elements, um, has a different proof, but it's based off of assumptions that Pythagoras had made. So even Euclid goes back to Pythagoras, okay? Then over time, more people came up with, with proofs of it. Um, Aristotle discovered a proof that unfortunately um, we only know about from third-hand accounts because Aristotle's book about it was, was sadly lost. Others as well, um, uh, Hippocrates and Archimedes also found um, detailed proofs. But I think this is interesting. The most, um, the, the most interesting one, I believe I know, uh, got it correct, is um, President Garfield actually yeah. discovered a proof of the Pythagorean theorem and had it published under his name. Wow. So, <laughs> I did not um, know that. It's one of the later proofs. He, used, uh, he actually used trapezoids to show that the theorem was correct. So, yes, and so it's still something played around with today on various various shapes and forms. Now, the probably the craziest thing about the Pythagorean theorem, and especially about it being attributed to Pythagoras, is the fact that, Pyth that while it's attributed to him, and it's generally understood that he was the first to write it down, we don't actually have that written copy or that written work by Pythagoras. And almost everything we know about him and his discovery of the theory comes from second-hand or third-hand sources, okay? Some of which are literally centuries later. So there is some debate about with, with modern scholars of whether Pythagoras actually was a person um, and Whoa. if he actually did indeed write this down or at least had all the things attributed to him actually attributed to him. Um, the general consensus is that he obviously did exist, then there is some details about his life that that survive, and not the mythical stuff that we're going to get into later, but yeah. actual details of, of real real truth. Um, and it's probably safe to bet that he's the one who did write down the theorem. But as far as some of the other stuff attributed to him, it was probably other people in his school, or rather his cult, that's what we're about to get into, <laughs> <Yes>. um, <laughs> that actually discovered it. Very, very, very fascinating um, history here. So are you ready to talk about Pythagoras as a person? And oh, absolutely. He was a weird dude. <laughs> very, very, very bizarre individual. Like, I am I am totally under, making an understatement here when I say he was a weird dude. He was a really weird dude. Uh, <laughs> yep. He was basically... Um, he was basically the ancient Greek equivalent of a cult leader. Um, oh, yes. Very much in the sense of something like out of like Jonestown or, you know, something along those lines. 
He's a creepy weird dude. Creepy weird. Okay. Um, Pythagoras was eventually uh, was originally from the island of Samos. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, born around 570 BCE. Now, of course, none of the dates are precise, but yeah. that's the general general consensus. And very early on, he left the island and traveled extensively. Um, this was probably because he himself didn't like living under the tyrant of the island, um, Philocrates, um, and wanted instead to basically, you know, get out of Dodge, so to speak. Um, and he traveled to places like Egypt and other places around the Mediterranean, basically to learn as much as he could. Yeah, um... The sources that I read implied that it was his teachers who encouraged him to travel and to to learn, particularly mathematics, right. further east. Further east. Um, but eventually, um, he settled, uh, in sometime in the 530s, he settled in um, the, the Greek um, city-state of Croton, which is actually in modern Italy today. And it's here that he basically establishes um, his school... Of of his basically his school of logic, which was more school is really the wrong word for it. Sect is what it's politely referred to as, and cult is probably the correct term for it. He had some really wild beliefs. Um, let's to put it to put it mildly. <laughs> <laughs> so he founded the school. Uh, this he founded a basically a religious group called uh, Pythagorean uh, Pythagoreanism, which is a mouthful. And they had some they had some beliefs that were pretty far out there. Uh, one, the all this was practiced in secret, so a lot of what we have could obviously be be wrong. But it you know generally you can't really make up this sort of stuff. Um, some of the more common or lesser crazy things is um, the cult believed in reincarnation. They practiced temperance, which at the time would have been pretty surprising. Yeah. Um, they also held themselves to strict dietary rules. They were possibly vegetarians. Now, there's nothing wrong with being a vegetarian, but remember the time we're dealing with, this would have been a rather unusual. unusual thing. Yeah, what I read said that they, they took it rather further than I think most vegetarians, at least further than I take it, but not as far necessarily as far as vegans. Because they also would not wear leather or wool. Yep. Which... Uh, I don't mind either and one of those. <laughs> their their dietary restrictions too included things like uh, beans being forbidden. How did they get their protein? That is a very good question. Uh, they must have been drink. They must have been drinking dairy and eating eggs. They must have, or they they just them, wouldn't get any at all. That may have been on the list. It all comes from that belief in reincarnation. Actually, they believed that the that um, you were reincarnated in human, animal, or vegetable form. And, but only in certain plants. And so beans were basically little little capsules of people soul. And that's why you shouldn't eat them. Okay. <laughs> Again, these guys, these, they're out there. They're out there. They, now, they, they did do some kind of nicer things. Um, one thing is the Pythagoreans gave equal opportunity to women and were one of the first all-inclusive groups of the time where both men and women could practice equally. Um, in fact, some of the more influential early off, some of the more influential priestesses of the cult were, well, obviously priestess, but women, basically, were some of the earlier leaders after Pythagoras. But even then, there are some weird things like uh, sex was forbidden in the summer months and had to be reserved only for winter where it was proper. 
to keep warm, I guess. <laughs> I have no idea why, but men and women could only sleep with each other in the winter. Uh, amongst other random off-the-wall all things. Um, there are some... Now, there are some kind of apocryphal stories. These, these are probably not true, but the things that are attributed to them are um, that certain male members had to be castrated to enter into highest circles. <laughs> and the highest circles, some of the beliefs they had were pretty out there. One general belief they had was that basically math ruled everything. These was basically turning math into a religion. And, you know, that basically it was some sort of divine gift handed down and Pythagoras was the one was a was the son of God a god and a goddess who brought this to the to the world you know some of his biographies say that he was the son of Apollo or was born from a virgin mother yeah, or things or, like that or that his birth was foretold by the oracle at Delphi and other Which strange is things very <laughs> strange because ultimately um you know some um histor historians like Isocrates and um and Thucydides actually record who his father was, and he was just a common gym trader. So it wasn't like <laughs> yeah, <laughs> these they, they were his parents were ordinary people, or very ordinary people. Now, other things about, but besides the fact that they had this belief that uh, in in math being the, the thing that controlled everything, um, they also had a belief that all numbers were rational. Now, uh, those of you who are not mathematicians. A, a rational number is basically is basically any number that can be expressed as a fraction, okay, um, in lowest form. So rational numbers would be things like one half or three quarters, or regular numbers like two, three, and four can also be expressed as fractions: two over one, three over one, etc. Um, they believed all numbers were rational, and so anything that was considered and uh, anything that wouldn't fit that mold was either they just didn't crack it fully and couldn't figure out the rational form of it um, or was basically blasphemy. Which brings to us to the uh, kind of one of the seedier stories of the group, um, which was that a high-ranking uh, Pythagorean, Hippasus of Metapontum, was drowned on, purposefully drowned on a boat trip um, that the Pythagoreans were taking because he had the audacity to prove that there were some numbers that were not rational. And he's actually the person to discover that the square root of two um, was irrational and indeed actually a number. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so some stories say that he was he was thrown overboard because of that. Wow. Um, some say that Pythagoras himself commanded his death because of that. Now, some have instead that he was put to death because he broke the the rule of the society which was he spoke about it in public um which is another thing yeah, they were, they were very, super very secretive. secretive and also too that they didn't kill him because of the square root of two but rather because he showed a method they had of, of basically showing how a dodecahedron which is a 12-sided yeah, solid could be inscribed in a sphere but either way this dude it's... was basically offed for <laughs> for something for uh, if you thought your math boss was tough, <laughs> yeah. you should have Pythagoras. <laughs> you should have had Pythagoras. Now, interestingly enough, this was uh, the the straight up uh, murder of this dude was actually not what not what caused the Pythagoreans to fall out of favor or get in trouble. Um, the reason why there is not Pythagoreans running around today 
Um, besides the, the ones who just know the math like me and who are not going to kill you for thinking numbers are irrational, um, <laughs> was that they actually uh, basically fell out of favor politically. When the uh, Pythagoreans were around, they were they were sort of a very influential and powerful group in the city in the city of Croton. But uh, being as such, they were also a minority group, and so therefore people always distrusted them. And you know, some stories go that some of the people who distrusted them were members who were rejected, or were people who. Um, had ulterior motives or, or whatnot, but basically they fell out of favor. Um, they fell out of favor politically, and it ends up happening that after a war, in which the city state had won, the common people wanted to basically um, reorganize the government, and they wanted to form a, a basically democracy, a, a sort of like a, a democratic republic. And the Pythagoreans were actually opposed to this because. To them, that sort of government was not not favorable. They preferred a much, they preferred a system of a very strong central person in charge of everything, or a small group of people in charge of everything, um, kind of the way they were set up. And so they were basically, they lost and were essentially snuffed out. Um, and it was said that in a, uh, uh, there was a big fire and a lot of the members were killed in the fire and Pythagoras himself had to flee um, the city. Um, because of the rioting that form happened, but that is, um, <laughs> you know, that's some of the uh, colorful stories about about Pythagoras. And as you mentioned earlier, Pythagoras and his um, crazy long bearded cult, which, by the way, um, I don't know if this tallies with what you know, but what I read was he after returning from. Babylon, he never cut his beard or his hair again, and he wore pants, um, which was really weird yep. for the time. Like, he was totally a hippie. He was Long he was hair, long beard. Very much a hippie. Um, hippie. Yeah, but from, from these guys, we get the word mathematics. Yes, we do, actually. And it all comes from the division of the cult itself. The cult was basically divided into uh, essentially a, a core central circle. And a, a lesser outer circle, if you will. Basically, like, full membership and, like, kind of associate members. If you were in the inner circle, you were called a teacher, the word for which in Greek was mathematikoi, okay? From which the term mathematics comes from today. Um, if you were in the lesser circle, you were called a listener or an akustamatikoi. Um, again, um, that's related to the uh, word which we get the word acoustics from. So... You know, those two terms, or a mathematician, a mathematikoi, is someone who is a, a, a teacher basically in the circle of Pythagoras. So, as a math teacher myself, and as a mathematician, I'm carrying along this, this grand tradition of being <laughs> in Pythagoras' uh, crazy cult circle, if you will. <laughs> yeah. Uh, now, to kind of, um, you know, interesting things you can you can do or follow about Pythagoras today. Uh, one is in the 19 in 1950 Walt Disney made a delightful educational video yes. uh, called Donald Duck and Math Magic Land um, basically to, to help kind of bolster an interest in math math and sciences for elementary school students but it's, it's a very very lighthearted very fun thing but in the first part of it, Donald Duck is taken by the spirit of, of knowledge 
to the land of ancient Greece to meet Pythagoras and become a Pythagorean, where, you know, he gets to uh, learn about, um, you know, some basic math and also gets inscribed to the order whose emblem was the pentagram. Okay, so yeah. that star symbol that is currently, like, associated yeah. with, uh, I guess, you know, Satanist or pagans or whatever, its origin actually comes from the Pythagoreans who use it as their emblem, the five-pointed star. Kind of yeah. a neat little yeah. aside. And in the cartoon, you, you see it on their palms. <laughs> yes. They have it drawn? Tattooed, tattooed, if you will. Yeah. Okay. On their palms. Now, that I don't think they actually did because that would basically be giving away membership yeah. into the society and they were so, so secretive they would not have wanted to do that man they were so secretive you can't can't teach other people math like as a math teacher how do you feel about that Stephen? yeah that's kind of kind of kind of lame on his part too especially because i really like talking about math as you can obviously hear right now so i would probably not have uh fallen into good favor with these guys plus two um as much as i hate to say it to poor pythagoras uh hip uh yeah. Hippasus was correct, and there are irrational numbers, yeah. and they're pretty hard to, you know, disprove that they're not there. So, um, and the logic kind of backs it up. Heck, Pythagoras's own works back it up, um, which is, again, kind of the, the, the issue at hand with it. The Pythagorean theorem itself basically proves the existence of these numbers, kind of, kind of weirdly, and not long after the f later mathematicians totally uh, accepted that these numbers had to exist, that they were basically perfect, uh, that there were rational and irrational numbers. They had a different word for it. I can't remember off the top of my head right now, but um, that was generally the yeah. idea. Um, one of the other things I remember from watching Math Magic Land, yep. which if you were lucky and went to the right school, you got to watch in class, but anyone can watch it now. <clears throat> yeah, it's on YouTube actually. Really? Yeah, you can find it on YouTube. They, there's, um, they, Disney doesn't fight the copyright for that one. Well, one of the other things I remember was the um, the emphasis on the connections between math and music and musical scales. Yep. Um, A lot of which, again, Pythagoras uh, developed. Uh, the eight-note the, um, eight scale that is the basis for modern music is a Pythagorean invention. Now, whether he himself discovered that or created that... Or one of his followers, um, probably one of his followers, it still gets attributed to him. And throughout most of history, uh, people, uh, musical theorists, would refer to Pythagoras's treatise. Now, again, not written by Pythagoras himself, but attributed to him. Mostly actually written down by a, a Greek mathematician who was a Pythagorean himself named um, Proculus, who was, a who was not quite a contemporary but a successor um, and a student of Pythagoras you know copied down a lot of these theories and attributed to him so uh, anybody out there who who has a basic interest in music you can thank Pythagoras for um, the current octave that we use today yeah real Pythagoras so we know what happened to his cult getting basically attacked broken up destroyed do do we know anything about his own death or not really um there's a um the thing is again he really kind of just drops off the map um it's generally held that he died around the year 495 but again that's just supposition there's really no 
no clear indication that was the exact date. There are various stories. Some say that he was killed in the in the riots. Uh, some say that he fled the city and was killed on the road or or sank in a boat storm or was killed in a storm in a boat. Things like that. Um, he apparently uh, went to the city of Metapontum, which is actually where the guy he drowned was from, and apparently lived in exile there for a few years. A one general story or story that's kind of heroic that when he's heroicized by some of these authors suggests that he went there and uh, purposely starved himself to death because of the loss of, of everything that he had had. He just basically mm-hmm. like accepted it. Wasted away. Wasted away. Knowing that he'd be reincarnated as a as a, as uh, a bean. As a chickpea. <laughs> yeah. As you know, as some as hummus. A chickpea or something. <laughs> <laughs> so. Yeah, there's so much mystery around Pythagoras. Um even just trying to get basic details um like we could find his his father's name which i'm gonna have a little trouble pronouncing m n let's see um all right greek expert (laughs) all right uh menasarchus menasarchus yes that's latin actually that's been that's a a latinized okay that's M-N. So we can find that. Don't know his mother's name. Nope. Um, what I read, some sources said, oh, he had a wife and a son. And these were their names. And others said, he never had a wife or a son. What are they talking about? Right. <laughs> so Again, okay, all part of the things. We don't know. Um, it seems like, though, uh, I, the, one of the stories was that he married a wealthy, a wealthy uh, Croton Heiress, if you will, not heiress, but a um, wealthy lady who lived there and, and so yeah. had a, a sugar mama, basically. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I was wondering, how is he funding all this? Well, it, he was possibly funded by um, um, by these things. And culturally knowing, too, uh, a lot of the fringe religious groups usually had one or two wealthy backers who basically took a vested interest in it. Now, this is kind of a side for history and, and something that eh, a little controversial. Um, apparently, Christianity in the very beginning got its start because um, they were inclusive to women. And wealthy women would, would basically support Christian groups mm-hmm. because it allowed them, you know, something to do, basically. Yeah, some autonomy, some social influence. So, exactly, which is, you know, remember at the time something they would they would not necessarily have, depending on where they lived. Um, and certainly in Roman times, they, they wouldn't have had it. Um, Greek times, depending on where you lived. Um, Croton sounds like a pretty progressive place, so, um, for that time. But then again, you know, that's just based off of the half writings of, of people writing like 300, years later, so. Yeah. <sighs> As with a lot of history, it's like almost like trying to read about Homer, um, there's just you just don't you know. just can't. Um, I want to see. Uh, even want to say like um, Homer also was apparently from Samos. Uh, I have to look that yeah, one up. Yeah, check so, that. Might be something about that island. <laughs> yeah. So we have any listeners who are who are out there? Um, do tell us what's in the water over there that uh, <laughs> creates these legends, if you will. Um, but that is the crazy, crazy uh, story of Pythagoras. Really, just just your. Run of a little nutcase who just happened to basically 
give us one of the most influential theorems of mathematics there are, there is. Though he didn't come up with it. No. He, he probably picked it up on his travels. He probably did pick it up on his travels, but again, remember, like all good things in science, it's not who finds it, it's who writes it down. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he was certainly the first person to to give it a good proof. Awesome. So that is Pythagoras, a really weird dude. <laughs> yep. All right. All right. Well, anything else you want to talk about or add? or? Um, just to say that if you've got more to talk about about Pythagoras um, or Samos and what's in the water, um, <laughs> you know, visit us at 100centuries.com. That's 100 um, spelled out, not the numbers. Not the numbers. Um, and we would really appreciate hearing from you there or um, getting feedback on iTunes or Stitcher. And until next time. See you later. See ya.